1: From a lawn, (laughs) does not look like what they stick out. Like, don't walk over here on this lawn. We just planted (laughs) tulips. (laughs) Holy shit, you guys! Wow, truly, wow, dude. Next level, yeah. Next level, clapping, yeah.
2: (laughs) Eardrums. Who needs (laughs) them?
1: Boom. That's the goal, right? Blow out all eardrums. <laughs> Jesus. First of all, are we in space? That's my first question. Yeah.
2: Is this normally a basketball arena? Is this, <laughs> they quite, put chairs in?
1: It's quite large.
2: Yeah. Well, how, how are you guys? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we didn't have anything prepared. We didn't know you guys... <laughs> We didn't think it was going to be this intense between us. Yeah. We just thought, we thought it was cash. (laughs) (laughs) My boots, thank you. Oh, yeah. Get into it. Why why not get right into it then if she wants you to?
2: (laughs) Here was the risk. Here was the risk. When we went and did the Grand Old Opry two weekends ago, right beforehand, I was reading some emails in our our account and one of them was like, here's my hometown. By the way, when you go to Nashville, don't wear a dress and cowboy boots because we make fun of all the tourists and bachelorette parties who do that. (laughs) So I was like, great, and I wore heels. But then I was like, well, what if Oklahoma City is okay with it? And I really wanna wear them. Yeah. Thank
1: you. They don't have rules here. They're not trying to get up in our business about don't do this and we'll laugh at you if that. They're just like, come and listen to us scream, please.
2: (laughs) And to be fair, in LA we make fun of this too, so I don't know what I was thinking.
1: I feel like these days everybody's a target, and they should be. (laughs) Buck up.
2: That's right.
1: <laughs> Deal with it. That's I love that outfit though. It's Thank really you. good.
2: This was made by a murderino for specifically us, Sarah Duke from Toronto. When we were there, she gave us dresses.
1: Georgia tried to remind me of this moment, and I was just like, give me something else. I was like, I don't key don't know. boxes. She's like, she gave us dresses in line. I'm like, no, not, nothing's <laughs> coming back. Nothing maybe, at all.
2: Maybe you didn't like yours. No. Ooh, don't say that. I, uh,
1: pockets Yeah. pockets two pockets two what the po- fuck yeah <laughs> yeah 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 yeah
2: and she somehow was able to get this fucking a cup to get cleavage of yes. all things i've never this is like everyone look yeah they Boobs. want to it's
1: great they're great
2: it feels like, I feel like a grown-up. Like, like, you know when you try in your mom's shoes? and well, I tried on my mom's boobs and walked around. <laughs> Janet? What's up, Janet? Does Janet have tiny boobs? Janet uh, has Stephen store-bought. Marked this. Stephen
1: marked this already.
2: <laughs> Janet has store-bought boobs.
1: Oklahoma City, that is a secret for you to keep in this room. That is That goes straight into the vault. <laughs>
2: I don't know if she cares. I think she's proud of it. Is she? <laughs> yeah, look, she fucking breastfed three. Why am I telling everyone this? Yeah, I am. Um, but my dad, recently we were hanging out and he's, he was. Marty. Marty. I've had a lot of coffee and I'm just dominating the conversation. Go for it. No, I, w- I
1: hope you do. <laughs>
2: he said to me, uh, you know, when I'm in the audience and you start talking bad about your mom, um, I just want you to know I don't care. <laughs> Because he's just—it's fine. Because I'm always like, I'm sorry, Dad. He's like, I don't care. (laughs) Marty.
1: Guess a lot of shit went down between them. Guess so. I mean, look. What is it? Anne Lamott says. Listen, sorry. Um, (laughs) Sorry to interrupt the now call and response show that we're doing. (laughs) Everywhere we go, every everybody does it. I was just gonna say Anne Lamott, the great writer, has an amazing quote, right? Uh, Where she talks, his people, she teaches writing classes and people wanna do autobiographical stuff. But then they're like, I feel bad writing about my family and the stuff that they did. And she says, well, if they didn't wanna get written about, they shouldn't have acted like that. (laughs) 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 Which is the best. That's right. So you get to say what you want. Yeah. May 28th, Stay Sexy
2: and Don't Get Murdered, the book. We did that. (laughs)
1: Talk about saying what we want and then only realizing afterwards that a whole bunch of people are going yep. to read it. That's the weird thing about writing a book. It's for others. Right. It's odd. It's very odd. Too much lotion? I'm sweating. No, oh. it's sweat. This is addressed by Simply B. Oh. Thanks. But I almost I what? almost don't want to play along because they, it does not have pockets. Oh, um, I know. I'm sorry. It's store bought. Um, <laughs> those are little kitten heels. I love them. These we got. We got these for free oh, from shit. some clothing place at some point. I don't remember that. And I remember when I got them. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look like a goat if I wear those. But <laughs> I feel like it's spring and the goat look suits me. You know what I mean? I like it. I think it's good. Well, what a goat suit. These are, these are my hooves. Do you, do you want to live deliciously? Anybody? Can we get some grass out here for Karen? <laughs> um, oh, no, I wanted to apologize. Oh. When we pulled into the theater tonight, we got out of the car, and um, some best friends of ours pulled up in their car <laughs> and then just screamed at the top of their lungs <laughs> at us. And I turned and looked. I don't know what you did because you were on the other side of the car. huh I just stared at them (laughs) because the screaming was so intense. I thought they were looking for the emergency room (laughs) or they were being chased. I was just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And then they just were like this at us. heres I was like, I got to get out of (laughs) here.
2: What if they were doing that and the other girl that they were yelling to where's the emergency room was going? Hi, that was me. Hi. (laughs) <laughs> but they ended up they were just come in come in but they were like we need to know who the fuck are you we're bleeding so much blood <laughs> in this car okay nice to see you
1: <laughs> so anyway sorry gals I'll scream back at you next time louder yeah and longer yeah it's just sometimes screaming like at six o'clock is jarring in the afternoon or in it's, the morning when it's still light outside and someone screams at you from a car it's scary
2: Uh huh. That's fair.
1: Thank you. I know they meant well. I just feel like I know my face can get pretty serious and scary sometimes. (laughs) And I hadn't blow dried my hair yet, so I'm sure there was a real. You look like one of the witches from Macbeth turned around, stared at him. I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it.
2: (laughs) Oh, speaking of, this is my favorite murder. This is my favorite murder. (laughs) This is karen kilgaris this is georgia hardstark thank you
1: thank you so much uh steven is home that's right Um,
2: that's right we're we're sad too he's not allowed here (laughs) his mustache would get in a fight with someone else's mustache (laughs)
1: Then we'd have to bail him out again. The thing about having a, a performative mustache, like many <laughs> men do in L.A., is that when you come to the Midwest and the center of the nation, you often get into gunfights that you aren't prepared for.
3: <laughs> you
1: That's bring your mustache true. to a gunfight. It doesn't end well.
2: Stephen has this... Stephen has a... Um, I'm going to talk some shit. No, I'm not. He
1: has like Stephen, mark this about yourself. Take
2: this out. He's like a chia pet. He just, like, he'll have this perfect cloth to everything, and then you see in, like, two months, everything kind of expands. Yes. And then he goes and buys another Chia Pet, and he's just like, it's <laughs> not that? Like, he, It's just, like, you can see how he's doing by his hair growth. I hope he's
1: selling that hair to <laughs> yeah. wig makers and cancer centers all across the nation. He could make so much money. Truly. I was trying to think. There's a couple corrections corners I have, and it's fun to do them live, like, if something... Right? Something just gets posted, then you just do it live. Sure. Oh, the word I was trying to think of was Victorian. That means anything <laughs> to anyone from the other day. Oh, I kept talking about a rough, and then I, I dove into the Renaissance, something I know almost nothing about, and got real scared and froze. And then whoever, some friend of ours walked up and goes, Victorian? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yes.
2: Still know next to nothing about it. <laughs> I couldn't have helped you even if you had gotten it right. Yeah.
1: It's uh there's a lot of areas we should not go into. Truly. As and yet, you know. <laughs> and yet here we go. Yet here we are. It's sit-down time? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. All right. Someone stole these from the bar at the residence inn. <laughs> hey. Are you in town on business?
2: Mm. Mm-mm. I feel like I'm at a, a cafe in the 90s.
1: <laughs> Let's oh. see. I'll have um, a you're... Cosmo with a Goldschlager back. <laughs>
2: Put your <laughs> napkin on your lap. Oh, thank
1: you. <laughs> could we, excuse me. Could we get service? We haven't even seen anybody. Can we get service? <clears throat> And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com
2: slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash
1: murder. Again, don't forget, the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Trying
2: so hard to eat healthy. Uh, (laughs) Don't yell chicken nuggets, please.
1: Also, don't yell. (laughs)
2: Um, who goes first tonight?
1: It's me. Okay.
2: Someone recently. Can and you I'm, see what? Can you see what don't that's? Show me. Is that mine Do or you yours? Do you recognize it?
1: Nope. No, okay. I know what yours is. Okay. Shit. Well, you're good. Get... I know. I know. <laughs> it's only a thirty second jump in time. <laughs> oh, but first we have to say to all the people who were brought here against oh, yeah. their will by people who listen. Yes, you're everywhere. So many of you wasting tickets. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... Sometimes when people hear that this is a true crime comedy podcast uh, and they haven't heard it and they don't know us, they get offended because they believe that comedy and true crime, which is basically comedy and murder, uh, don't belong together, and they think that's wrong and bad. And um, so we just like to start the show by explaining that Georgia and I have loved uh, true crime. We've been fascinated by it ever since we were really young. But we also, since we were really, really young, have processed anxiety, fear, and pain through humor. And so those things right (laughs) those things go together for us and conversationally it makes sense for us to talk about the worst things and then (laughs) relieve ourselves I was going to (laughs) say
2: anywhere we please
1: verbally relieve ourselves Yeah, right in the corner in front of each other (laughs) And blah, 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 you've heard this a million times. Essentially, if you're offended, get the fuck out, is what we're saying. <laughs> okay. They know. They know. Tonight, I'm going to do uh, the Hi-Hat Club murder. Mhm. Um, I got this information from TulsaWorld.com. Oh, my God. You guys love the internet. Yeah. The internet is huge, first of all. Oh my god! Because it actually contains a Tulsa world. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my god! How, how expansive must it be? Truly.
2: Can you imagine doing this? Never mind. That say it. Real dumb. You gotta
1: say it now. <laughs>
2: Without the internet,
1: but then there wouldn't be a buck. <laughs> Knocking on doors. Would you listen to this cassette of me and my friend talking? It's a ton of inside jokes. (laughs) Oh, your boyfriend won't like it. He won't like it. (laughs) You're going to have to go into a different room. Thank you. Great. I'll be back in two months to hear if you like it or not. Get ready with a thumbs up or a thumbs down. (laughs) Yeah. We might, maybe we should start doing it that way. Mixed tapes? More, yeah, like. Or door knocking. Door knocking, grassroots. You know, yeah. home to home. I think that's what
2: we're doing. <laughs> oh. <Here>. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put more flyers in record stores. <laughs> yes, we should.
1: Cafes. <laughs> okay. Um, Tulsa World is where I went to get some of this information. Great. You yes. remember. Absolutely. Also, there's a website called um, malefactorsregister.com. Which, yeah, has a a lot of uh, great information. And then there's an author named Jason Lucky Morrow who does an amazing website called historicalcrimedetective.com. And he wrote a book about this case called Deadly Hero, The High Society Murder That Created Hysteria in the Heartland. Are you ready?
2: Are they mad? No. What'd you say? Are they mad? No. (laughs) (laughs) We
1: don't call it the Heartland anymore. It's going to be one of those. Okay, She threw her napkin down and walked <laughs> She's off. She's livid.
2: Waiter, we need to check. <laughs> you got to snap. You got to snap at him. <laughs> That's, That's right. the only
1: way. Snap and grab at their apron as they walk by. <laughs> they love it. They love it. Okay. We begin. November 1934. Yeah. I like the old ones. The old ones for live shows are awesome because... All the references are there of your local shit, but then it's not super recent. You don't have to be, like, tense or super bummed, and then we can make all the hideous jokes we want to. That's my, (laughs) that's what I'm bringing to the table. That's what I enjoy. Okay, so, uh, 1934, 21-year-old John Goral Jr. has just returned home um, to Tulsa, spending Thanksgiving with his father, John Goral Sr. That's right. You got him. (laughs)
2: i get so scared when you point at me that i'm like yeah
1: (laughs) i don't know yeah i understand i just right as i was going to do that someone screamed something like a chicken and now i (laughs) i want to know what it is but i don't want to encourage it
2: they said senior like a chicken but they said like yeah
1: because they also have tension when, when someone's pointed at, just not, yeah. at, when it's not when it's pointed at someone else. They want to be a hero. Yeah.
2: And I appreciate hey, it. Hey, we all do. Hey. Listen.
1: We all do. Okay, so John and John eating Thanksgiving dinner together. Okay. Um, John Sr. is a wealthy and prominent doctor. Junior's been living in Kansas City where he's been attending dental school to become a, a d- dentist. That's right. Yes. 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 Uh! Beautiful. Thank you. Thank there he is. Oh that's what? No. That's not allowed. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mean shame them. (laughs) This isn't a hot or not test for fuck's sake. What are you sorry, aren't we not about that? Guys tighten it up (laughs) (laughs) I think he's cute (laughs) seriously my worst fucking fear (laughs) oh no (laughs) let's see what this next picture oh whoa 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 hey yo okay
2: but okay but in their defense would you want that guy to be your dentist yes or no
1: Yes, you know why? Why? Because he has one big tooth, and that (laughs) shows priorities. That's what he's about. Yeah. Now I'm offended. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have to say, though, there are other pictures of him. Yeah. (laughs) Jay picked this. There were... After I picked it, like it approved everything, because he's like, here's this picture, here's this yeah. picture. I picked it, and then I looked for a different picture, and that, another one of him came up, and it was a real before or after. <laughs> like, it was like a Maury Povich episode of like, I, I, I used to be ugly, but now I'm fly or whatever.
2: It looks like whoever got cast in the made for TV movie is of actually himself, in it, yeah, but he's not. He,
1: yeah, got it. It I might just be that the sun was at a certain point sure. in the sky. You know how
2: it was back then. The yeah. sun was always Fucking in different places. With all these sun
1: you were like a human sundial yeah. sometimes. But,
2: God. Alright. <laughs> Alright. Let's <laughs> yeah. That's him. Great. Can you tell me if my brush like I, I'm not used to this. Yeah. Just like let me yeah, know. Yeah. It sucks doesn't it? Yeah it
1: does. Yeah. Flopping all over the place. It'd <laughs> be like hey slut pull your dress up. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. I'm sorry I you went through that. I won't. I won't do that. To no, no,
2: no. I mean, it sucks that you've experienced.
1: No one's ever called me a <laughs> slut in my life. God, that's the dream. I'm that's what we're trying to get to. I yeah. know. I'll get there. I'm gonna get there one day. Yeah, you will. Don't worry. Thank you. It's gonna be hard without liquor, but I think I can do it. <laughs> I think I can.
2: Hey, man, we're on tour. Like, let's hey, go wild. Hey, fuck
1: him residents in up pull the dress half off the shoulder
2: Karen put your clothes on Karen stop
1: it <laughs> Karen it's 7:30 <730. laughs> Okay where's my when spot We're back in And the Johns are eating dinner okay. beautifully with with beautiful souls and spirits Okay and then afterwards, John Jr. Uh, goes out to meet up with a friend named Charles Bard. Bard is a student at the Oklahoma Agricultural and Mechanical College. Oh, sure. <sighs> Ooh, someone's mad at them. Yeah, that, you know what it is? That's the rival animal husbandry college yeah. <laughs> that they're like, no, no, no. Mm-mm. Don't bring that agricultural mechanical bullshit over here.
0: <laughs> uh
2: uh-uh.
1: <laughs> then there's an FFA section in the back. <laughs> we'll kick all your asses. <clears throat> John and Charles pick up some girls. Hey. hey. And they all go out for a drive, which is the only thing to do in 1934. <laughs> you better drive around. Um, so around 1030, John drops off Bard and the girls, and he tells them he's got, quote, an, ap- an important appointment and that he has to get to, and then he drives away. Okay.
2: Right. Mm. It's not. It's
1: not a red flag yet. It's not. <laughs> if um, he kicked them all out of the car with a, with his cowboy boot yeah, or whatever, then that's right. be A red flag. Get out. Yeah. Um, around midnight that night, a man named Wesley Cunningham.
2: Oh come on. Right. Made
1: up. I pi- <laughs> I picture Wesley Cunningham to look like. Um, like alfalfa from our gang. Like, mm-hmm. like his hair is parted down the middle and then greased to the sides. Yeah. And his hands are in his pocket and he's whistling. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Jughead from the Archie comics. <laughs> that's, a different, that's a different person. Didn't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So Wesley Cunningham, he's walking through an affluent neighborhood near the Philbrook Museum.
0: Look at it.
1: Look Pretty. at this fucking rich people's museum they oh have in Tulsa.
2: Damn, guys.
1: It's we'll play a, there
2: tomorrow night. We'll what's, play there tomorrow night? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be playing on
1: this lawn tomorrow night. <laughs> um, so as I was pulling the picture for that, I did this one. And uh, I, looked, I just looked up real quick to see what the... What the Philbrook was all about, and they have Andrew Wyeth paintings there, who's my favorite painter. So let's really quick just look. Oh, oh look at my, my dog. Yeah,
2: That's George.
1: That's my dog. That's beautiful. Now I don't know if that's the real name or if I just told Jay that the name of the painting <laughs> was Dog and Barn. But then there's this one. Oh my. Wind God. from the sea. Have you ever seen this? Have you seen no. this shit where someone paints a painting and then paints lace curtains over it? No. How did he do that? Karen, can I tell
2: you how impressed and kind of intimidated I am that you have a favorite painter? Oh. <laughs>
1: am I flexing on you, you right now? I art, I'm impressed. It's working. You like art? Eh. <laughs> No, I do. I Wait, do. don't. I'm going to sell you on this one. Okay. No, I'm in. I'm in. Oh, okay. He's my favorite painter now, too. Okay, yeah. well, no. No you, no, you have to pick a different one. There's 10. Um, <laughs> the, he's famous for the painting Christina's World. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which, of course, so I find this one, right? And I'm like, oh, to show Christina's World because that's what he's famous for. I literally know this from Google's. Images. It's not like I go to the museum and, oh, or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't. You can. I don't care. I'll be like, look at that painting of a feather. Oh, that one's Andrew Wyeth. And then I've done that enough times, so then I'm like, he's my favorite painter. <laughs> There's no book learning involved.
2: Would I? Sorry, art school graduates. Yes. Sorry, all
1: of Tulsa and the Philbrook <laughs> Foundation. This okay. is a very. Um. This painting is parodied a lot. Okay. Oh! Do you remember? That sucks. There was a long, It was like ten years ago. There was a sit-in at UC Davis, yeah. and this guy just walked by and straight up fucking pepper sprayed like just a sitting a sitting group of nineteen-year-olds. Yes. Just walked by and right in their face. Goodbye.
2: Did and
1: what then someone is genius enough to fucking do this, <laughs> which is why I love modern life so much. The internet.
2: They think of everything.
1: And, of course, okay. not to be partisan, but there's this one, which I fucking love. Come on. Oh you have to admit it's funny.
0: That's more <laughs>
1: uh,
2: Oh, my God.
1: Amazing. There was also one of Lisa Simpson and The House on the Hill is Pink. <laughs> but the, whoever drew it, I was like, I don't know about... <laughs> The stability of whoever drew this—it was, it was clearly not like official, yeah. official merch. <laughs> okay, our corner is over. Back to the story. Okay, Wesley Cunningham. So he's walking near that museum. Painting. Oh, okay. <laughs> Painting. <laughs> Got it. Museum. <laughs> he is Wesley Cunningham. Is Andrew Wyeth's fake name. So. Okay. He's walking in the neighborhood, fancy neighborhood, high-end neighborhood. He sees one lone car parked by itself on the on the corner, mm-hmm. and then he notices all the surrounding street lights are out. Eee. So he walks over to the car. Don't and, do that, right? Walk away from yeah. the car um, to see what's going on. He finds the body of John Garl Jr. slumped over in the front seat with two bullet holes in his temple and a 22 caliber gun laying at his side. Mm. So obviously the police are called, and then they begin to investigate the scene, and they discover that the 22 belongs to John Goral Jr. Um, but judging by the body's position, there it's not suicide is not possible. Also, hey, he shot himself twice in the head. <laughs> you Can't do that. Very good point. <laughs> I feel Very, like I've repeated that point really, so many times. Really nice thinking. <laughs>
2: Thank you. I went to art school. <laughs> I went to college.
1: <laughs> he could have shot himself and then like, quick, 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 quick. Mm. Who knows? <laughs> uh, oh, you do. I know. Yeah, that's right. I just told you. Yeah, you told me. <laughs> um, then as they investigate, they realize all the street lights have been shot out. What? Yeah.
2: I don't like that. That is a red flag. That is a red yeah. flag.
1: Put the red flag on your lawn of yep. suspicion because some tulips of murder are about to grow up out of it. Am I right? Okay. Good one. Thank you. Missed the suicide thing, but got that one perfectly. All right. So, so basically the entire scene is very unnerving and suspicious, much like Andrew Wyeth's Christina's world. All right. So the investigators have no immediate leads. John Girl Jr. has no known enemies, police record. They don't know who could have killed him, why anyone would want him dead. But then, luckily, Mm -mm. a local airplane pilot named Floyd Huff comes forward. Hey, Floyd. (laughs) With an interesting story. He's every man. Yeah. Literally. Look at that
2: smirk. He, of course, knows he knows something. You know what he knows? How to
1: fly. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty good. That's the. the smug smirk of a man who can fly in yeah. the air, Yeah, unlike many of us. So Floyd comes forward, and he's like, I think you guys are going to want to hear this story. Um, he was in Kansas City shortly before Thanksgiving, and while he was there, he was approached by a young man who wanted to hire him to fly him to Tulsa um, because the weather conditions were bad. Uh, Floyd Huff said no thank you, Um, but he told the young man he was planning on driving there himself, and he offered him a ride. So the man accepted, and during the ride, um, the young man told Huff outright that he planned to kill John Goral Jr.
2: You got to keep your mouth shut sometimes, people.
1: Yeah, but you know on a road trip when like (laughs) a good song comes on, and you've been on the road for like... Out the
2: window. yeah. Yeah,
1: half an hour, you're just... You're feeling a real kinship yeah. in that car. Yep. Shared a bag of Cheetos or whatever. 1934 Cheetos, 1934 which was Cheetos. Just, just seeds. It was just a <laughs> four seeds in someone's, the palm of someone's hand. So uh, in, in Huff's own words, he said the man, quote, said that Goral was plotting to extort $20,000 from Homer Wilcox, the millionaire oilman, under the threat of kidnapping Wilcox's daughter, uh, Virginia, or her brother, Homer Jr. And here's Virginia Wilcox. Whoops. Nope. <laughs> Shit. No, but who's I that? Been- <laughs> <laughs> I not her either. Okay. Spoiler alert.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Okay, so these rich people were gonna get kidnapped by the guy found dead. Yes. And so this dude was yes. going to kill that this guy. This dude was,
1: was basically um, ratting out the dead guy.
2: Thwarting the kidnapping. And
1: saying, he was going to kidnap these people and I'm going to go kill him. Okay. Yeah, essentially. We're, he- we're there with you. Are we here? Yes. Okay. Here's a photo of Virginia Wilcox. <laughs> <laughs> um... So the young man tells Floyd the entire fucking plan. He explains that he first considered renting a plane and shoving girl out of it while they were in the air. That was plan one. Mm.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's ambitious. Yeah.
1: And then he was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the drawing board on this one. (laughs) Um, Hard to convince someone to get onto a plane so that you can then push them off the plane. Absolutely. Um, So then the young man told Floyd, he said he thought it might be easier just to stab Gorell instead. And at that point he pulls out a huge hunting knife and a pair of rubber gloves and shows them. And the guy just kicks him out of the car. (laughs) And the guy takes him to a plane and then shoves him out of it. No, Um, I guess he just does that thing that everybody always does when they're uncomfortable, which is, oh, (laughs) and then continues to drive for another however many hours. So when authorities ask Floyd Huff to identify who this man is, he names 19-year-old oh, oh. Philip Kenimer, who is, as you can very obviously tell, the son of uh, a very highly respected Oklahoma federal judge named Franklin E. Kenimer. Sure. Uh, you'd never suspect from that level of smarm that he's a <laughs> federal judge's son, would you? No. no. Never. Okay. Is that a Diane von Furstenberg wraparound blazer that he's wearing? I don't (laughs) get how that jacket buttons. It's a double-breasted suit. Am I I making that up? I could never. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it's way over.
2: That's true. Because people had no... People had waist this size
1: back then. They fucking sure did. Men,
2: women, children, animals.
1: I think there's... There's really something to eating seeds as Cheetos. <laughs> that might really be the key.
2: You were on to something.
1: Okay, let's write that one down, Stephen. <laughs> Put it on the list. Put it on the list. That's going to be our new diet plan. No more Cheetos. Seeds. <laughs> and it just all different cut types of bird seed.
2: I'd rather just drink water, honestly, <laughs> than
1: eat seeds. You can. Water's on the diet. Oh, okay. great. Yeah. It's seeds and water and now and laters, (laughs) and then, of course, Chicken McNuggets. (laughs) Okay. Which Uh, I tried
2: to order last night. We did the whole, sorry, we did the whole thing of, like, getting into the hotel late so there was nothing open, and then we found on the app, Vince and I, that McDonald's was open, and they'll deliver, and we were like, great, and, like, put our order in and shit, and then it was like, sorry, it's closed. It's closed. Like we have picked our sauces. It's not that big of a
1: deal. <laughs> so we but there is a kind of a, the hunger yeah. build Tell as you're on that app. Yeah. Tell me before. Also because, you know, when you're on the app, that's, a, that's what's bad about those apps is instead of talking to somebody on the phone and being like, and that's all I'll have. Oh, oh sorry. Also a green salad. Instead <laughs> of having to do any of that, yeah. you're on an app. So then you're like, two apple pies. <laughs> Yeah. What kind of ice cream items do you have? Do they travel? Do they travel well? Well, they're not made of real ice or cream, so they travel (laughs) great. They stay exactly the way they come out of that machine. They stay that way for four hours. You
2: shouldn't eat
1: it, but do it anyway. But you gotta love it. Okay. (laughs) So the police notified Judge Kenimer of the accusation, and he actually, uh, of course, very begrudgingly, but he turns his son in. Ooh. Yeah. Imagine. No. Um, so on December 1st, 1934, which is only two days after John Grell Jr.'s body was found. So the police question um, Phil Kenimer, the son. He admits that he did the shooting, but he t- explains that it was in self-defense. So he says that the extortion plot that Floyd Huff described that he was talking about was real, um, but that it was John Grell Jr.'s idea and that he wanted to call it off. Uh, Phil wanted to call it off because he had feelings for Virginia Wilcox. Let's see if she's here now. It's not gonna. That's. I was thinking of her as a child, so let's make sure she's not a child.
2: I thought it was a child the whole time. Oh, because
1: she was gonna get kidnapped. Yeah.
2: Is that weird? She's gonna get. Is that ageism?
1: Lady napped.
2: All right. Let's see.
1: Not that one. There oh, she is. Oh
2: shit! I've got feelings <laughs> for her too. <laughs> Yeah. Look at the bra- eyebrows. They're even... Okay.
1: Also, she has that look and just like, the 30s. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> still got... I'm this pretty and I still have to do the dishes. <laughs> By hand. With bleach.
0: <laughs> okay, we have okay. to go back
1: one. All right. So it's all over her, right? He says he basically... That... um that John Girl had this extortion plot, they were going to kidnap her, but that because Phil had feelings for her, he wanted to protect her. So, okay, so he had the—he was supposed to mail the letter, but he wouldn't do it because he suddenly realized this could put Virginia in peril. Mm-hmm. And so he went to uh, that night, Thanksgiving night, he went to Girl to tell them that he um, had not mailed the ransom note, and he begged him, according to Phil, he begged him not to go through with the plot, Um, But John Grell Jr. refused, and they start arguing, and that's when uh, Kenimer threatens to go to the police with that ransom note he never sent, Mm. and that's when John Grell pulls out that 22, goes to shoot Kenimer, they get into, like, a scuffle, um, and Phil Kenimer says that in the chaos, he's not sure how it happened, Mm. but one of them pulled the trigger, and John Grell Jr. got shot twice in the head. (laughs) you know yep. how sometimes when you're scuffling and you win yeah you double you time. win and then you celebrate yeah. which is wrong okay
2: got it From, and then you shoot all the fucking lights out yeah then you're you? like Pooh, you saw a motherfucker Damn i'm it. back
1: <laughs> so of course for minimum two if not more reasons the cops are not buying this story <laughs> um so they question the people closest to um, Phil Kenemer to, uh, to get a better sense of his character. They find out that he's known for being an arrogant rich kid. Shocking. Um, he's smart, but he doesn't apply himself at mm. school um, or work. He's known to be an attention seeker who loves being in the spotlight, but only if he's being praised. I don't see the problem with any of these <laughs> things. Actually, it's not retracting my judgment of this person. <laughs> Uh, he rejects any sort of negative criticism about himself. What? That's stupid. <laughs> Waiter, we we need that check. This is getting... It's bad now. Okay. So uh, they also say that Phil Kennemer had gone out with Vir- Virginia Wilcox. He He had taken her out on her first date. But uh-huh. she... Almost immediately lost interest in him if, if she ever had it in the first place and, spoiler, later on in the trial, she goes on, um, on the stand and basically goes, I don't know that guy. <laughs> <gasps>
2: Ooh, Yeah. Ouch. You but,
1: try to save someone by shooting
2: someone else and I, this is the way. And this is how
1: they repay you? Yeah. Great. By shaming you in court? Unfortunately, Phil was in love and he was angry that she did not share his feelings. So, then the cops go to talk to John, uh, the friends of John Gorell, And that's when they discover a little thing that was a secret in Tulsa among the wealthiest young men. um, They had started a gang of thrill seekers. That's in quotes, a gang of thrill seekers Mm. called the Hi-Hat Club. Mm. Right. So it's a bunch of, there's lots of oil money that you guys know, but Georgia might not know. There's a lot of oil money um, around these parts. And I guess uh, up in Tulsa. And there are lots and lots of um, what they may have called back then, then the nouveau riche. Mm. Um, And so it was people who had basically been um, busting their ass, you know, uh, on these oil, Wells, um, and then they hit it big, and suddenly they're like millionaires Mm -hmm. in 1934. Um, And so then their children are the worst. (laughs) Um, Right? It's almost always how it happens, pretty much. That's the equation. Yeah. But it's very new. Like the money, the the parents aren't used to the money, so then the kids, they don't know how to kind of moderate it, I guess, So is what they were talking about. So here's the initiation to get into the Hi-Hat Club. You drink 10 glasses of beer, then you have to drive 60 miles an hour around a corner on a street. Come on! <laughs> That's
2: dangerous and nerdy. It's so, it's so fucking dorky. It's so dorky. And it's you know those, those cars didn't go 60 miles an hour back then, that, did they?
1: <laughs> can't. They have to like wind up the old fucking jalopy. <laughs> oh, we we're doing it together. <clears throat> wind it up. Yep. Then you have to let it idle for 45 minutes so the <laughs> engine warms up. Do you know my fucking father? It's 2019 and he still no. tells you you have to wait for the engine to warm no. up in his car. Don't just drive it. I'm like, Dad, uh, whatever thing you're thinking of literally doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> like, this car engine is a computer yeah. and you're 100. <laughs> Love you, Dad. I owe it all to you. My
2: dad doesn't mind when you talk shit about your dad on stage.
1: <laughs> Marty's fine with it. Okay, got it. He's totally fine. <laughs> oh, also, at the end of that initiation, you have to smoke pot and have sex. So, oh, yeah.
2: Which you know was swag back then, too. <laughs> the sex, I mean. <laughs>
1: Just weird bits of sex that it no one wants. Seeds and stems seeds. of sex. Are you going to put that on my shoulder? What's, <laughs> what? It doesn't go like that. Please don't blow that in my face.
0: <laughs> Thank sorry. you. Oh, my God. Sorry. Spit- I was
1: reading. I was reading. I was reading. I'm sorry. Because... This always happens. I'll write a dumb joke underneath the thing, but now we're too far away. I'm going to say it anyway. Okay, say it. it. They call it an initiation. I call it a standard Wednesday night. (laughs) Thank you, Oklahoma. Thank you, balconies. The balconies are the ones I love the most. (laughs) I didn't mean it. Okay. God, I'm... (laughs) Just... Terrible, terrible comedy. Okay. So once they're in the gang, the hi-hat members are free to then engage in activities like smuggling drugs. <laughs> what kind?
2: Was anything illegal back then? I don't I don't think it was. I
1: feel like all of it was really encouraged. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, no, this was past the old put some cocaine on it when you had a cut. I don't time. I think so. 34? We gotta get a drug dealer in here to answer some of these questions.
2: Vince, no.
1: (laughs) I just fucking threw my husband under the bus. See? See? That's what bad comedy does to us. Oh, (laughs) shit. Waiter, will you get that eight ball ready for us? Vince has it. Vince has it in his pocket.
2: We're gonna split the tap.
1: God. I would be... Literally dead if I still did that. No. (laughs) Okay. So uh, what I love is that the cops had no idea that this was going on. So, um, or they did. And of course they just simply didn't do anything about it because all the the kids in the hi-hat club were the richest of the rich and all their parents were super connected. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were, they probably came around that corner going 60, shit-faced on 10 glasses (laughs) of bad beer. (laughs) killed four families and then they're like just let him go he's a nice white boy (laughs) so okay so they discover that not only uh not only are both john Grohl jr and phil Kenemer members of the hi-hat gang but so is homer wilcox one of the intended victims of the would-be kidnapping and extortion okay um so Basically, when the rest of Tulsa finds out about the hi-hat gang, they fucking lose their shit. Everybody freaks out because, of course, today's standards, those things aren't that big of a deal. But back in yeah. 1934, you know, it was a, it was a conserv- conservative town. It was, uh, you know, traditional. And they believed all of this was pure Satan-induced insanity. Yay! Um, <laughs> the best kind. Um <laughs> So they start to fear for the welfare of their own kids. They're scared that no one, not even the good little rich boys are safe from the pitfalls of evil influence, which is like super backwards. So <laughs> the police also find that on the night of the killing, a small crew of the Hi-Hat members had taken Kenimer to like driven him around town. Um, the president of the Hi-Hat club- There's a president? <laughs> a pre- see, they're just fucking nerds. They're yeah. nerds with drugs. 19-year-old um, son of the director of petroleum research oh, yeah. at the local college was his name was Sidney Bourne. Let's see if we will get to. Him. No, it's that fucking picture again. <laughs> there she. Okay, her. We know it's about her. There he is. Okay, he looks- I'm the president. <laughs> I can do anything I want. I call president. <laughs> I call president. <laughs> Fine, I'll be sergeant at arms. <laughs> Um so Sydney had driven uh, Phil Kenner to the spot where Kenimer killed uh, John Gorrell Jr. on Thanksgiving night. Um and then on December 9th, just a week after Phil Kennemer is apprehended, a random driver passes by Sidney Bourne's car, finds him inside dead <gasps> from a bullet wound. No way. Yes. And in his lap was his father's revolver. Um, and the location of the car was not far from where John Gorl Jr.'s body was found. Just some revel without a cause, shit. This here. is yeah, it's nuts. It's connecting, it goes. <laughs>
0: All the way
1: to the-! Um, okay. <laughs> but unlike John Gorell Jr., uh, uh, Sidney Bourne's death is ruled a suicide. Although the hype and hysteria surrounding the case makes many people believe that it could be another gang-related murder. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe because it was exactly like the first one? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's hysteria. All right. And then to further complicate things, um, the police then arrest Homer Wilcox Jr., Virginia Wilcox's brother. For his own kidnapping? For they figure out and are able to prove he's the one that shot the lights out. Oh. Yeah. Why? Well... (laughs) They say, when they're arrested for it, of course, they they get released with a fine, um, because the whole thing's chalked up to, quote, malicious mischief. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking assholes. Um, (laughs) They say that they were just out shooting out lights for fun. You know, those mean old lights. We we like to shoot out lights and then see if the glass will go in our eyes, (laughs) because we're the hi-hat club. We have a song. Ready? (laughs) Ready, Bella? Ready? Uh, (laughs) Put that glass right in our eyes. We're the hi-hat club. (laughs) What's happening? This is too long. It's taking too long. This is taking too long. They decide that they're shooting out the lights on the street where John Girl Jr. was murdered is just a coincidence, nope. even though the decreased visibility would have helped Kenimer carry out the murder in secret. Anyway, <laughs> after he hears about Sidney Bourne's death, Phil starts starts to spill it. And he reveals that he was also involved in the extortion scheme. He admits that he was a part of it. He then explains to the cops that he was only involved so he could protect Virginia Wilcox um, because he was in love with her and had been for years. Um, he had taken her out on our first date, that I said, and he had apparently, quote, penned odes to her beauty. Oh, really? So I guess poetry was a big part of that gang. <laughs> <laughs> According to Kenimer, John Grohl Jr. was... Uh, in, he was big into petty theft but then he now wanted to move on to quote the big stuff and so in the fall of 1934 when he's away at dental school he comes up with this plot to kidnap Virginia and extort her father for money is, what, is the story he's okay. telling the cops the
2: petty theft and dental school are, don't really flow together I mean
1: he manages his time so he well must. though he he's must. just like and we're just going to put a little bit more Novocaine on that Sorry, really quick, I'm going to steal $500 out of your purse. <laughs> <laughs> Don't panic, it's petty. It's not a big deal. So, in, uh, so he, they write the extortion letter together for the kidnapping plot, and then Goral gives it to Kenimer to mail. Kenimer, of course, changes his mind, as I said. So Kenimer says that he went, he found um, John Goral Thanksgiving night, showed him the note, said, I didn't send it, I've changed my mind. Please don't do this. Please don't do it for the sake of Virginia. Um, And then, of course, the whole story about them fighting and accidentally shooting him twice. So this is the picture that keeps coming up. But this God damn it. Oh, well, that's (laughs) okay. That's Sidney Bourne's car, the guy that they say committed suicide, who was also in this gang. OK, I guess we won't go back to that picture. It's not that important. Um, So. Uh, oh, this! There is a good picture of him outside the courthouse, though. Let's see what we do. Oh, this is him reading about himself in the newspaper. All right, buddy. And he's wearing an an amazing Eileen Fisher uh, jacket. <laughs> it's ivory and dope. <laughs> Are they letting him get a haircut or something? Looks I don't. Like it. I don't know it where that like is. It. Anyway. Outside the courthouse, when he goes to court, all these people are there. So this is this uh, little factoid is absolutely my favorite and kind of the reason I picked this. Um, the people of Tulsa are so gripped by this story. Well, first of all, they have to move the trial to Pawnee to accommodate all the spectators. Um, even with the move, the frenzied interest in the case is still so high that attendees literally rip the doors off the courthouse to get in. Guys.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. How bored do you have to be? To be I mean. Like,
1: this is it. We have to see this. How dare you? Wow. Don't you love that?
2: I just picture one kid hulking out and fucking pulling
1: the doors <laughs> off. You need a ton of corn. That
2: kid. Out of my oh. way. Oh, Oh, this guy? Yeah, yeah. That little guy.
1: He has... He's like, I have a secret. I can rip doors off of courthouses. (sighs) Don't believe me? Maybe I could be in the high hat gang. (laughs) You little shit. Get out of here. It just makes me think of all the times people are like, ask us, you know, like, what do you think this thing is with this new trend in true crime interest? We're like, they're fucking ripping the doors (laughs) off of courthouses in 1934, this is not new. Yeah. Okay. The trial lasts 11 days. The prosecution claims that, the self, uh, that this concept of self-defense played no role in Kennemer's actions. Um, they paint a picture of a highly dangerous killer who intended to kill John Grohl Jr. Um, they say that whole story and situation was just a ruse to win the affections of Aww. Virginia Wilcox and favor her family by positioning himself as a hero. And they, uh, the prosecution asked for him to be sentenced to death in the electric chair. Yay. They were super fucking specific about it. (laughs) And they're like, and we'll pick his last meal (laughs) birdseed and water. (laughs) Okay. But Kenemer's defense team enters a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. No. And this pisses Phil Kennemer off. He doesn't like that because he sees himself as very intelligent, sane, um, and he's insulted. So despite his protests, they bring in psychiatrists, friends, family, even his own father to testify that he is actually insane. Hmm. And Judge Kenimer testifies that his son had enrolled an enrolled, had been enrolled in and quit four different boarding and military schools. He was very emotional and at times very unreasonable. <laughs> it might be the drugs. He <laughs> testifies that he'd gotten Phil several jobs, that he'd work for a few weeks and then quit and that his son talked of joining the French Foreign Legion saying it would be a good way to banish himself to from decent society. Sounds like half the people
2: in LA that I yeah, know Yeah, it's
1: it sounds like any 19-year-old. Yeah. It's like I'm going to fucking join the French Foreign Legion. <laughs> good. Yeah, dad. Go. Do it. <laughs> Let him. Okay, so um so this is all supported by the testimony of the other high hatters who were out with Phil that night. Um, at the, they were hanging out at the old, uh, the Owl Tavern. Mm. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, it must be a total shithole. Um, <laughs> So, apparently, Phil Ken- Kenimer came in at 9 o'clock, around 9.30. He told everyone within earshot that he was looking for John Gorell Jr. because he wanted to kill him. Okay. And then he pulled out his large hunting knife that oh. he loved to brandish. Okay. Um, And uh, a high-hatter named Randall B.B. B. Morton uh, recalled the exchange he had where he said... I said, Phil, maybe I better—I had better take that knife. I may want to use it going hunting. And I just reached over and got it and put it in my overcoat pocket. And he said, B.B., are you going to send me out to, with these bare hands to kill Goral? And I said, yes, if that's the way you want to go, Phil. And he just walked out oh and left God. the tavern. I love that he's like, his,
2: like a drunk driving friend who's like, taking your keys, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Get home how you can, but you can't <laughs> yeah. drive. Taking
1: the knife, murder how you can. Yeah. How about I hold on to this for you, yeah. friend? So, essentially, when it all gets sussed out, uh, the jury deliberates for eight hours, and then on February 22nd, 1935, they find Philip Kenimer guilty of manslaughter. Mm. And uh, he's sentenced to 25 years in prison. So, hmm. oh, that's him in court. All right. What's up, finger waves? It feels like nothing existed in 1934. No. There's, like, nothing on the walls. No. And it's just men in suits yeah. in a room.
2: Not a single...
1: Did you pull the door off? Or was it you?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. There's the... <laughs> That's the newspaper. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> so... Here's what's interesting. So in the wake of Kenimer's trial, the high hat club is disbanded once and for all, as far as we know, there could be a shit ton of secret high hats in here right now. (laughs) Um, So while in prison, Kenimer files for several appeals. They're all denied. Um, And it isn't until April 23rd, 1943. So he serves eight years in prison for manslaughter. And then Oklahoma Governor Robert S. Kerr grants him parole. Um, When he's released, he immediately um, joins the army, um, becomes a paratrooper, and in World War II... Oh, wait, that's him. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. That's his first night in the army. He didn't like it. (laughs) He said the bed was hard and the pillow wasn't very big. That's him going into the Oklahoma State pen. Okay. Here's him going into the army eight years later. Wow. Wow. This guy, on June 6th, 1944, No, he parachutes into France on D-Day and uh, remains in battle overseas until he's gunned down by a Nazi on August 15th, 1944, and he dies at age 49. Um, so before his death, he told a reporter, something just seems to tell me that I won't come back because they they interviewed him when he was leaving for the war. Some, something tells me I won't come back. I hope that if I die under the flag of my country, those who have condemned me will hold me differently in their memories. Uh, I will. (laughs) Okay. Um. One anonymous hi-hatter, oh, and this is kind of what I said before, but one anonymous hi-hatter explained the youthful ennui this way to the international news service reporter. This whole trouble in Tulsa society is this. Forty years ago, these millionaires did not have a dime. They were workers in the oil fields, and their wives were just ordinary girls, some of them waitresses and the like. Waitress. (laughs) (laughs) Waitress. Then comes the golden flood of oil and gold. They had millions all of a sudden. They showered money, money, money on their children. Too many expensive automobiles, too much time to do nothing. And that is the rich and privileged story of the High Hatter's murder.
2: Wow.
1: Good job.
0: Thank you.
2: Fucking fascinating. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs)
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy
2: price, price line. Here we go, everyone. I'm doing the Oklahoma City Butcher. Mm.
0: Ooh.
2: Get ready for some fucked up shit. Okay. <laughs> your favorite kind of shit. Yeah. All right. I got a lot of info. I like
1: my shit straight at like right angle shit. Okay. Okay.
2: We can do it that way if you want. Um, I got a bunch of information from, of course, Wikipedia and Reddit, our best friends. Um, And also uh, 405magazine.com. But um, there was a great article by, called Lost uh, OKC by MJ Alexander. She's this incredible writer and photographer. So, and there's not like a ton of info about this one because it's a real bummer. Okay. So let's start right after World War II. Great. In your boom. This.
1: Let's start after mine ends. Perfect. We are. Yeah.
2: The post-World War II era saw Oklahoma City become a major hub in the the, um, national interstate highway system. So
1: (gasps) congratulations. Highways. Wait, that's not the 405 that goes all the way to us, is it? That's the magazine. Oh, it's a magazine called 405. It could have been a magazine about highways. Shut up! (laughs) And they
2: would call it I-45. Remember?
1: (laughs) Mm. We call it the 405. Oh, that's right.
2: right.
1: Oh my God, this whole country is so different. So different. And big. Yet we're all together.
2: And what I, okay, I love about, one of the few things I love about traveling is that you get to learn so much about the city you're in just by writing about some horrific thing that happened. That's so right. I was like, I need to add some stuff to this story because it'll make it make more sense in the, when it happened, which is the late 70s and 80s. So um, the civil rights era dawned after uh, World War II and downtown Oklahoma City became the site of the start of a new civil rights tactics when history teacher Clara Looper, who... <laughs>
1: Guys, she's here tonight. Are you ready?
2: <laughs> Waiter. Bring out Clara Looper.
1: Bring out Clara Looper.
2: Um, she was the she had been the first, she was a history teacher. She had been the first African American student in the graduate history program at the University of Oklahoma.
1: The fighting. The, the fighting I-40-405s? F- <laughs> That's
2: right. Fighting freeways. The fighting, thank you. Um, sorry, I fucking really threw you off. I don't mind. know.
1: We used to have so much fun with the fightings, and Maybe now all of a sudden anymore. it's become a real point of stress for let's us. not do it
2: anymore. It's you know what I like better is, and then today's money, let's do that yeah, one instead. Yeah, that's way better. Okay. We're going with that one. So in 1950 is when that happened, and then she led some of her students and her like young children um, from Douglas High School <laughs> which in today's high school is
1: <laughs> junior high
2: <laughs> In the first very first sit-in in american history
1: Shit. To, to segregate
2: yes yes the lunch counter at the downtown cat's drugstore on august 19th 1956 fuck yeah that's her fucking kids Two days later, the Cat's corporate management desegregated its lunch counters in three states and the sit-in was adopted throughout the country as a, a peaceful protest tactic. Hell yeah. Amazing.
1: Two days.
2: Pretty cool. So, great
1: job guys. Good job you guys, you um, did it. Way to go. All you. <laughs>
2: As the 1960s continued, however, Oklahoma City, when it was, used to be all rich fucking oil people and shit. I remember. You remember that. Yeah. Beautiful buildings, gorgeous city. Oklahoma City began to decline, and of course, A white flight and suburbanization began to empty out the central business district and the surrounding areas. It's a similar story at the time all throughout uh, the U.S. By 1961, the city limits of Oklahoma City had expanded from 80 square miles to 475 square miles. As people were like, I'm going to go out over there. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And the oil beneath the city had begun to dry up. Property values declined. And the new city leaders then engaged in a disastrous program of urban renewal. Um. It went really bad. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, The plan was to save Oklahoma City and turn it into one of the most beautiful cities in the Western Hemisphere. That was their plan.
1: And they're like, ferns, ferns, ferns. (laughs) That's right. Cover the city in ferns.
2: Unfortunately, someone else was like, knock everything down. Oh. And everyone was like, okay, see. Si. Um,
1: <laughs> see. Si.
2: Unfortunately, what they ended up doing was essentially a 12 year demolishing rave. Uh, or party, where 40% of, the down, of downtown was demolished, and it was 530 buildings. So there were all wow. these like, beautiful buildings that were like the first the founders of Oklahoma City had built to look like this from Europe and that from there, and they were gorgeous, and these dudes were like, fuck this shit. Progress, everyone. You know how they do it. Um, and they were trying to build this city of tomorrow. So this is what it looked like
1: Ooh. back then.
2: Um that see that building right there?
1: Uh, the tall one?
2: No, the one in front of it.
1: Okay, okay. yes. Then
2: they did this to it. <laughs> oh Jesus. Yeah. Sucks, right?
1: And they're like, look, it's your new water park. <laughs> Bring your own slide. Yeah. Uh yeah, so I would have liked to see that building go down, though. I'm sorry. Oh, there were some
2: photos of it. And I guess at, lot of the, um, at a lot of the de- uh, demolitions, people would just stare and cry. Because uh. <laughs> everyone was like, don't do that. And they're like, we're rich white men. We can do whatever we want. Sure. So where was I? By the 70s, with a population of over uh, 350,000. That's correct. Um, <laughs> Urban Renewal had lost the support of many Oklahoma City residents. They were pissed off that the, um, they demolished the majority of the old theater district, and they tore down historic, historic, hysterical historic structures. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the program was also blamed for forcing retailers uh, and department stores elsewhere they were like we're gonna give you a new beautiful building and then they tore everything down and then didn't have the money to build anything back up so um they they tore down a bunch of stores to make way for a newfangled shopping mall and then that area stood as a parking lot for 35 years oh
1: but a great parking lot everybody
2: (laughs) it wasn't one of the cool ones where you park your car and then they bring it up on a ladder it's (laughs) not even that you know which sucks pretty standard yeah Oklahoma City's urban renewal program was the most extensive in the state, and by the early 80s, the city had cleared hundreds of structures in the area. Um, they, these were downtown, and the 200-acre Oklahoma Health Center and the John F. Kennedy neighborhood, which is around where our story takes place. So, of course, they're like, we're going to build, not the I-405, the interstate <laughs> okay. through here. So, we're taking all of your houses, Get, goodbye, you know, to, of course, the majority of the poor people. Right. So... The 1970s to 80s were a period of stagnation for Oklahoma City, and, uh, let's see, hold on, da-da-da-da-da. With the exception of the Myriad Gardens, there was little done to, love that place, (laughs) little was done to improve the inner city or central business district, and so between 1976 and 1986, a killer struck at least three times in Oklahoma City using the sparsely populated neighborhoods that had emptied to make way for highway construction. It was like free-for-all.
1: Yeah. So, sorry, excuse me. Um, are you emptying the garbage? <laughs> oh,
2: I bet someone barfed. Oh, no. They did? Oh, we're getting nods of yes. Uh, oh, honey. I'm so sorry. Not you. I'm sorry for the people sitting around
1: i shouldn't have called it out i'm sorry it's just that when someone snaps out a garbage bag three times i'm like what did i not put the garbage out mom what happened am i in trouble oh god (laughs) all of you so sorry you You know it's now happening at every single show (laughs) like we get we get messages the next day where it's like i had a great time except for a girl barfed on my shoulder yeah
2: you guys all get free milk duds in the lobby Ew. on the theater.
1: <laughs> free clam chowder for everybody in that. <laughs> Stop it. That's not funny, Karen. That's not funny. I don't like barf, unlike other people, and therefore that offends me. Oh.
2: Do you think people barf at, uh, at, at Les Miserables Part 2 or whatever? <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> Who do you think barf gets more barf? Les Miserables or
1: us? I hope it's us. I feel like we're number one. I feel like that, yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, no one will ever be... Don't, nobody feel bad. First of all, I can't tell you the places I've barfed. And <laughs> it was a real passion of mine in the 90s. But I remember doing it in onto my own lap in my friend's convertible car. And she was just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. It's a convertible. You could have turned your head any direction. And it would have been taken care of.
2: At least you were being polite. You know, and my dad, we'd be on road trips and we'd get food and he'd say, eat over your clothes. You were kind of following that (laughs) ethos.
1: I was just trying to keep it contained. Well, all I had to do was that. (laughs) It didn't have to be contained at all.
2: So we feel you over here. We
1: are feeling it and smelling it a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit. <laughs> okay. Here we are. And we're back. We're back to the horror of life. To you've now described one of the creepiest concepts which is a serial killer who is operating in an abandoned neighborhood. That's right. How have they not made a horror movie out of this? Cuz that's I think didn't know. I don't know. You're like, have you never heard of... Oh, have
2: you never <laughs> heard of <into> <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire? I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't come up with a Yes, come they on. loved it. Okay. It was perfect. That's, it started there. It's like, it was the... Okay.
1: 1976.
2: April Fool's Day. Oh. Mm. On April 1st, 1976, at around 3 p.m., three oil industry workers are in between shifts and waiting for a friend to show up, uh, and they're bored. And so as you do, they say to themselves, let's go check out that abandoned house. I would. I would too. Yeah. Because that's fun. But their fun turns terrible. They break into this vacant house. It's Northeast Eighth Street. Uh, one of the interesting things, and now this makes sense to me because I was doing all this reading about all this stuff I just talked about. And one of the things is they paid a fair price for the people who got kicked out of their houses, That's but good. they only gave them like a month to get out. So there was tons of furniture and like expensive shit left behind. Oh, so you people, love
1: to go I know, through I that. I mean, it
2: sucks. It sucks. It sucks. You know, urbanization was bullshit. But. but.
1: <laughs> drawers baby oh. all I want to do is look through other people's drawers yeah. <laughs> That's
2: all I want I don't want there to be an apocalypse but if there is I hope everyone leaves everything behind for me to go through yes so <laughs> it's a slice of life that's right okay so they're in this house um, at northeast 8th by Stiles Park you guys know it <laughs> um
1: it's about it's pronounced "delayus." Oh, shit
2: it's about one and a half miles from here, so that's fun. Um, the front door is boarded shut, but the back door is unlocked. So one of the dudes enters through a hole in the side of the house. I guess he didn't know the back door was unlocked.
1: <laughs> I guess he didn't know it was abandoned. Yeah,
2: didn't proofread that. Um, it's dark inside. Someone trips over something, mm. and then the room has the smell of something rancid. One of the bo- one of them they see a popcorn bucket in the corner and one of them knocks it over and inside the popcorn box
1: is a severed head 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 Sorry. so this is a, like a popcorn like a bucket from the movie theater i think so that's jesus what it like. that's gonna ru- ruin your movie going experience <laughs> into the future that's right shit um they quickly
2: realize it's the head of a woman and so they call the police the police think it's a joke because it's april fool's Day. Um. they come out anyways and realize it's fucking it would be a terrible joke and it's not a fucking joke Um, they find uh other parts of the body uh strewn about the house including what the dude had tripped over and realize it's a it's the body of a female so her um let's see okay so The police aren't able to identify the woman, and they try to compare her teeth to dental records of several missing women, but nothing matches, and she's classified as a Jane Doe. A sculptor works with police to produce a clay reconstruction, but it doesn't um, come up with any leads, so that goes cold. Three years later, on April 19th, 1979, okay, a couple kids are playing basketball. When a dog runs up. No. with a severed head and its (laughs) smell. That one person's clapping like this. Ma'am.
1: Ma'am, stop it. (laughs) That's what everyone, everyone, that's why we're here.
2: She's a therapist and she's like, get those children into therapy.
1: (laughs) And one of those children was LeBron James. (laughs) Because that's how you are inspired. We have to we have to overcome things to get to good yeah. places.
2: He's never, been, he's never stopped playing basketball he's, since He then.
1: drives him. He sees it at night and Wait. during the day. Jesus. A dog runs up. I if that know. wasn't a horror movie, everyone in the audience would be like, this is corny. I have to get out of here. Yeah. Stupid. That would never happen. And you could just imagine what it's
2: like. It's you know, probably the neighborhood of abandoned places. And, oh, you have Okay. The, the cops come and they are like, oh shit, and they canvass the area, they don't find anything else. They come back the next morning to just be like, let's just double check that. And they find more body, body parts in places that they weren't there the day before. Oh, yeah. um, as if someone had crept in the night before and fucking left them for them to find. They're called back repeatedly through the next two weeks as body parts keep turning up. And they're found in news, wrapped in newspaper and in brown wrapping paper, like as if it's a butcher. (laughs) Hence the Oklahoma City butcher. Uh, And they realize it's the body of a woman. And the body parts keep turning up until May 1st, 1979, when uh, the rest of the the body is found in the area. A week later, fingerprints positively identify the woman as 22-year-old Arlie Bell Killian, Family members tell police that they'd seen Arlie just hours before she had been found. Even though she is involved in sex work, police immediately suspect uh, that it's not someone on the street, it's uh, one of her male relatives who, uh, there were newspaper accounts that he had escaped from a mental hospital the same day of Arlie's murder. And he had a history of violent behavior, including attacking things with a hatchet, including his grandmother. She, he didn't kill her
1: sorry isn't this just friday the 13th (laughs) oh shit is it or is that halloween it might be halloween halloween kind of they're kind of all the same (laughs) all right
2: one would argue that's
1: horrifying
2: yeah um police records they look into him because they're like this has got to be the dude right but it turns out that he had been re-arrested um and brought back to the hospital before the last a week before the last of the remains were found so he couldn't have dumped the pieces himself and so they were like not him goodbye seven years go by wow and on March 6, 1986, a mile from where the last body was found. So it's all in this, like, really small little area. Seven years later, um, a leg and a torso from a female are found in an alley behind a house. And a week later, a homeless person finds the head of the next victim uh, behind a house just down the street from there. The victim is identified by the two tattoos on her shoulder as 22-year-old Tina Sanders. And she had been seen... the. Uh, the, at last seen the day before she uh, died. A month later, police publicly link these two deaths and the Jane Doe from 1976. So they're like, everyone, you should freak out. Something's going on here. <laughs> it's big. It's big and horrible. Yeah. The Jane Doe and Killian have uh, distinctive incisions. uh in their face that the killer had done, so they're similar, and the body parts of both these other, these latest two victims had intentionally been scattered in different parts, um, and they're all, two are known to be sex workers, and they're all young Native American women with a similar, like, physical appearance. Um, each death happened in the spring, and there was evidence that the killer took his time with each of the victims. And uh, early reports say that the killer's a medical student or physician because they're like, the cuts were perfect. And then the detective Eastridge, who's became a cold case detective of this, is like, no, they're not. They're crude and sloppy. Mm. So it's not that. Um, That was just like a theory that
1: came out. Yeah, you know how that
2: shit yeah Rumor mail. Uh, It's suspected that the killer, now named the Oklahoma City Butcher, might have been in the military or even in jail during those periods between when he killed people. But uh, the linked murders don't receive a lot of media attention because of the marginalized victims and all the cases, it it runs cold. Um, Let's see. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So enter uh, Andra Medina in 1993. She comes forward and uh, to report her cousin missing. She had been missing for the past 17 years. Her cousin, Kathy Lynn Shackleford, had been 18 years old and a member of the Sac and Fox tribe and, uh, Andra's mother had always told her that it wasn't her business to inquire about her cousin's disappearance. She would leave it to the mom and dad and the family. But as soon as Andra's mom died, she's like, fuck this shit. And like goes to the police <laughs> nice. and is like, I'm going to find my cousin. Um, and so she, in 1993, she calls the police to report her cousin missing and, uh, th- they, the Sar- Sergeant uh, Norma Adams from Oklahoma City remembers a photo she had seen hanging by uh, in the police station, and it matched Andra's description of her cousin. So, police can't find dental information for the cousin. They soon learned that her dental charts had been destroyed in a fire at her dentist's clinic. But her medical records from um, the Sac and Fox tribe, they're not able to provide a dental match either. So uh, they, they send DNA to Cal State Berkeley to, uh, with the sisters, the cousin's sisters. It matches,
1: okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the test proved that it's a perfect match and the woman in the abandoned house is positively identified um, 17 years later as Kathy Lynn Shackleford. Kathy had run away in June of 1975 when she was 17, less than a year before her body was found. That was the first body that we saw in the abandoned house. Right. Um, And she's heard from two months before her death And uh, Kathy's loved ones do start searching for her right away, but uh, they get, um, they don't know why she didn't contact them, but they, people tell them that they had seen her around the country, so they don't think anything is wrong, they just think she's not um, contacting them. And uh, her family members talk about her as someone who always had a smile on her face, and it was very caring, and always initiated hugs. And now that she's identified, her family is able to bury her among her relatives in sack and fox tradition in a Native American ceremony in Shawnee. In, in 1988, city council members, okay, so that's, that's that story. Then we're going, okay, I'm a bad, okay. In <laughs> you're, 1980, good, you're doing good. In 1988, back to this urban renewal bullshit, city council members ad- admitted that the urban renewal plan had made Oklahoma City, that was supposed to make Oklahoma City a city of tomorrow, had not worked out as they hoped, and a councilman declared, downtown is dead and we helped kill it. Oh. <laughs> That's how you fucking take responsibility. Shit. You take it all. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't until the MAPS initi- initiative in 1993, <laughs> good job guys, um, that the city began to rebuild itself. So many of the Northeast streets and neighborhoods that the Oklahoma City butcher had stocked are long gone. and They've been raised and turned into gentrified lofts and upscale eateries. Probably, I saw three breweries today within <laughs> a th- one block radius, <laughs> so I'm guessing. <laughs>
1: Pare-pare-pare-pare. Yeah.
2: Not talking shit. I went to one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's all brightly lit, regularly patrolled areas now. Uh, The Oklahoma City butcher has never been caught. Really?
1: Or identified. Sorry, guys. Well, and now this is where we turn to you.
2: (laughs) We're going to walk you all home tonight.
1: (laughs) To your computers where you're going to solve this crime. Yes,
2: please. Um and the murders of Kathy Shackleford, Arlie Bell Killian, and Tina Sanders remain unsolved to this day. Wow. Detective Kyle Eastridge, who was the now the cold case uh, detective, he's, he's retired now, he said that it's interesting that the first two murders are almost exactly three years apart, and then the the last known victim is seven years later. So he wonders if there's a victim in between those two that hasn't been identified as part of this spree yet. Mm-hmm. He also says that despite the two two of the women being known sex workers, they were just doing what they had to do to get by. And Kathy's cousin, Andra Medina, who helped get her identified, says that her family tries to think she's in a better place now. But sometimes she wonders who this person is and they and is he still alive and they just want to know his identity. Yeah. And that is the fucking Kansas City butcher story.
1: <laughs> Oklahoma City. Oh my god! <laughs> Shit, (laughs) you're right. You're right at the finish line. You're right there. Shit, Steven. And that was the Oklahoma City Butcher. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) I, I can't believe, well, I can believe I've never heard it, but I have never heard that. It's so fucking disturbing. I feel it's like it's so we, disturbing. We
2: always like try to avoid doing stories like that, which yeah. I didn't do tonight, because it's just so horrible, and it's marginalized women, and it's, you and know. Unsolved, and of unsolved, of course. but yeah. it just seems, it's crazy that we haven't heard about that all the fucking time. Yeah. And now that this insane DNA bullshit's going on, maybe he can be found yeah. and taken, yeah. taken in.
1: Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. Um... Should we do a quick hometown? Do we have time for a hometown? Let's we do it real fast. Now we have. Um, before you start pointing.
2: Yo 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 yo! The uh, three. Uh, there, there it is. is. It hey, is. It. hey 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 hey. Yeah. I'm all hopped up from the eight ball I did backstage. <laughs>
1: He does listen to Yay. us. He does listen. He's never even Whoa. had a cigarette before. Holy but. shit! I know. Oh my up, god. Look at
0: the one right
1: there. Yeah. Wow. Oh my god! He goes up there.
3: Uh,
2: now, will You guys climb up there?
3: I'm gonna be right
2: down there under that exit sign. Okay. Uh, so no one who has puked or been puked on, please.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> that's a good rule. We really do.
2: Not yet. Here's the thing too. When everyone's pointing at someone and that someone is cowering in their chair, they don't, she doesn't want to be.
1: I do want to tell you one rule. One I know, rule, um, one rule. I'd, I'd stop yelling. Um, <laughs> just so I can tell you this one rule, which is, you know all the rules. We say it every single time. This one seems to be coming up over and over and I feel, and I'm starting to feel bad for the people. Yeah. We want it to be local. We want it to be local. It can can be in the state or it could be nearby Oklahoma city, but we'd love it to be in Oklahoma city. But I swear to fucking God, if you roll up here with some Kansas city bullshit. Okay.
2: We should start kicking people off <laughs> if they do that, right? Yeah, oh, that's my god, right. I hate this so much. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. Karen, it's do you crazy. want to do with the sign that says Steven on it with the wheat? Yeah, yeah. Go to Vince right there. That way, that way. Oh, they're coming up. Oh together. no,
1: it's two. I don't know. <laughs> Ugh. Okay, turn the lights down. Turn this lights. is it's so crazy. This is
2: terrifying. It's truly it's terrifying. So crazy. Yeah. Are you mad at two people?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'll give him a chance. I'll give him a chance.
2: I, I saw her mouth something about my mom. So all all
1: right. I feel like it's. Okay.
2: Okay.
0: What's your name? Hi,
1: Kelsey. Hi.
0: Hi. Hi.
2: What's your name? Hi. It's Dee and Kelsey, everybody. Mother and daughter. It's Mother and
1: daughter.
3: Sweet woo. Got it. And this is yes. my
1: graduation good. cap. This Doing good so far. Cap. My last
2: day of school ever was today. Where'd you go? What'd you do? I can't um, even. Dental hygiene. Dental hygiene!
3: We can't hear.
1: She's graduated from college.
2: She graduated from dental hygiene school. Today. <laughs>
1: nice. It's a dental theme. <laughs> we should stand over here so we can hear. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is hard. Okay. Hi, guys. Hello. Uh,
3: where are you from? We're from Southwest Oklahoma, right outside Lawton. Nice. Take it. And my name is not every DD is crazy. Okay. You say that. You always say all the DDs are crazy. Don't start defensive. <laughs> it's a bad look. Okay. So this story is um, very hometown for us. We live in Southwest Oklahoma, right outside Lawton. And in 1999, Kelsey's dad and I bought 160 acres to build our home. So we closed on it, started building our house, and people started, it's about 30 minutes from where we had been living, and people started saying, hey, you know about the mass murder on your land, right? (laughs) (laughs) I forgive you,
1: I forgive you. I'm not mad there's two people on stage right now. (laughs) I couldn't be happier. Everything is great. Okay, go ahead. So on March the 5th,
3: 1916, there was a family that lived on our 160 acres named the O'Kanes that were all murdered. And what happened was on a Monday morning, the farm hand came to go to work, knocked on the door, nobody was roused, and went inside. And inside he found everyone dead. Except, there was, except the dad. Except the dad. So He there was were, gurgling. <laughs> there was a grandpa, the mom, the dad, and... Five children. One of them was four months old. Oh, oh. Four-month-old baby that the mother was holding. And I will tell you that these newspaper articles that we found spared no detail. <laughs> yeah, oh, they get into it. Very gruesome, very mm-hmm. gruesome. So basically, the mother and baby were dead in the bed. She was clutching the baby. The baby... Um, throat was slit no more baby talk no no it was horrible let
1: Dee Dee tell her story let me
3: tell my damn story it's on my land (laughs) (laughs)
2: sorry (laughs) are you surprised that her button says I'm a Karen I am a Karen (laughs)
3: i in York, Georgia. That's right. <laughs> so they, the, there were two boys and two girls. The two boys both were murdered in their beds. They had bullet wounds in their heads. The two girls were murdered, but they didn't get bullets. They just got bludgeoned and the like. And the mother and the baby were dead. But the dad, oh, and the grandpa was also dead. But the dad, because they're all Okanes, and it's senior and junior and, you know. Right. He was dead. I mean, he wasn't quite dead. He was bleeding, he, but he still had a heartbeat. He still had a little bit of breathing. And, of course, they. this is out in the country, you know, and they had to get... Were there phones then? No. Oh, uh, I don't know.
1: Here, I'll look it up on your phone if no, there were phones there or not. No. <laughs> there was no signal. <laughs> yeah, there was no signal. Yeah, the Wi-Fi was really bad back then. <laughs> Kelsey said, it's
3: Siri! <laughs> So um, basically, they we had heard that initially the, the farmhand had been accused but and had been cleared through forensics, but we actually couldn't find that in the newspapers. So everybody uh, immediately thought it was the dad. They had all been playing cards with some families the day before, all day Sunday. They were a well-respected family, but they just really couldn't decide anything else. But then there was also part of the story was that the grandpa was a real Frankenstein, <laughs> And that is a grumpy monster. <laughs> yeah. And so they actually thought that maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, moms. How are you doing, Kelsey? <laughs> <laughs> she loves me a she lot. She loves you 25. so much. Five
2: years of this.
1: So
3: they, they there is speculation that the grandpa killed all of them because they were actually wanting to send the grandpa to the home a home and that the dad came in, found everybody dead, and he committed suicide. But and then also, they had a big problem with everybody wanted to see the bodies. Y'all talk about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they took all of these bodies to the mortuary, and they had to, like, lock the doors because there was such a crowd of people just wanting to get in and see the bodies. Nice. Wow. And so they were all buried together except for the grandpa, and all of their coffins were white except for the grandpa, right? And, um, and thanks, Kelsey, for coming with me. <laughs> and, <laughs>
1: And You're not done yet.
3: <laughs> I'm nearly done. <laughs> and anyway, so the they eventually said the father did it and that is the story of the O'Kane mass murder on oh, my wait, land, wait, but, wait. and Kelsey. you can still see in our pasture where the home was. <gasps> yes. So, but it is on the over. other side of the creek. Don't come over.
2: Do they know? <laughs> Give me <them> the address. <laughs> Do they know they know for sure that the dad did it? Probably, maybe. It had, okay.
3: Go. so there was like a wash basin with blood uh-huh. and fingerprints on a towel and his hands were clean so that's all we have um, to go off. Okay of. we say yes so yeah <laughs> it probably. was the dad okay. the dad did it Yes.
2: okay and the ghosts there's no ghosts. We
3: don't go over there real often. I don't play with <laughs> my Ouija board anymore. <laughs> but, but the yeah, cows like it. I bet they the do. The cows are fine with
1: it. Yeah so. oh my god. <laughs> Guys Didi Dee Dee and Kelsey everybody Dee Dee and they Kelsey! killed it. Bye. Yes. Yeah. Great job, Oklahoma City. Dee, Dee and Kelsey really changed my mind about two people coming up at once. I'm, a con- <laughs> I'm converted. I thought it was going to be a thing where it's like, anyway, we were in a thing. <laughs> I like to snap judge. <laughs> Fuck. This that is, was yeah. a perfect show, I, I feel so? like. Yeah. Okay. For me
2: for my enjoyment if of it Steven edits out me saying the wrong city
1: Oh I'm sorry And this part too That was a perfect <laughs> show Do you know yes. that we make lots of jokes about it, but it does break our hearts when you fuck things up because we really do want to give you the presentation yeah, yeah. that we know you would be able to give if <laughs> you were the one doing it. We understand that the scrutiny is very high because these are things you've poured over and that you know by heart. And that alone like, city name. gives us the shits when we do these things. It's yeah. very—it's uh, more pressure than we act like it is. So
2: Please focus on that girl puking and
1: not me. <laughs> (laughs)
2: I would love that.
1: When you remember tonight, mistakes that were made tonight—not me. It was all her. (laughs) (laughs) No, this Um, is amazing. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys for welcoming us in the biggest fucking theater. Thank you to all the people who very actively and angrily complained that we hadn't come here, <laughs> that we weren't in the Midwest enough. We, it works. We love it. It works,
2: we love it. Uh, we are so freaking hashtag blessed that you guys support us so much. <laughs> it's crazy, I mean, this whole ride is crazy and we can't believe that we get to do this, that we have a freaking book coming out that you guys it's really bananas, and we're so, so appreciative for everything you guys have done for us. Yeah, it's
1: very... Um, I feel like right now we're coming into a time where we can actually start feeling what's happening to us without being so freaked out all the time. Yeah. You'll see when it happens to you. It's so crazy <laughs> when your podcast explodes, but... Um, the coolest part, I think, is that every time we know, no matter what else is going on, we come out on this stage, that we're talking to a bunch of our friends. And that feeling that we get to be up here and doing the thing that we like the best and that, y- and that you guys are here for it is, it is so fucking satisfying for us. And it, it really makes it like this is kind of the cherry on top of the rest of the is when we get to be out here yeah. with you guys. So thank you so much Thanks, for so having it. us. Yep. And of course, of course, stay saved and do God's missions always. Please. But then also stay sexy. And bye, Oklahoma City, thank you. Thank you, Oklahoma City.